Let's pray for a moment before we uh, unpack that passage. Father, thank you for your words to us this morning. Father, thank you that you are a God who speaks, who has always spoken and who still speaks. Thank you that you're a God who, uh, who gives revelation. And Father, in these days, we want to hear from you. It's your words that stands the test of time. And we ask that our hearts and minds will be open to you once again this, today. For Jesus' sake. Amen. So just a, a little bit of um, uh, context in case you've uh, not been with us in previous uh, weeks. The passage that we were uh, exploring last, uh, last Sunday was um, uh, John the Baptist is in prison. And he begins to wonder whether Jesus is, uh, is the Messiah. John the Baptist has heralded Jesus as the Messiah, as the saviour of the world, and now he's in prison and is wondering. So he sends disciples to see Jesus, to ask him, are you the one that we were expecting, or should we be looking for someone else? And uh, Jesus sends John's disciples back to him and just says to them, well, go and tell John what you see and hear. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And uh, basically Jesus says, well look, everything that I'm doing fulfills the Old Testament promises about the Messiah. So presumably John is reassured. And now in the passage that we're picking up this morning, Jesus begins to speak about John the Baptist. And first of all, let's just remind ourselves of who John was and uh, why he came. If we just flip back to Luke chapter 3, uh, we read that in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius Caesar, when Pontius Pilate was governor of Judea, Herod, tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip, tetrarch of Iturea and Trachonitis, and Lysanias, tetrarch of Abilene, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, uh, the word of God came to John, son of Zechariah, in the desert. Luke is a man for details, and he really sort of nails down the history. So he tells us exactly when John came, and he says this, John went into all the country around the Jordan, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. That was John's message. He went out into the desert, and he called people to come and receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Verse 15 of chapter 3 reminds us that the people were waiting expectantly, were wondering in their hearts if John might be the Christ, the Messiah. And John says, I baptise you with water, but one more powerful than I will come, the thongs of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptise you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And verse 18, with, uh, with many other words, John exhorted the people and preached the good news to them. So John has come uh, preaching a message of, God, of good news. Thousands of people have gone out to him in the desert and have been baptised. They've received this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. So Jesus speaks to the crowd now about John. He says, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. Now, uh, we're very used to... Um, images and advertising and logos. If you're driving down the motorway and you see a sign sticking up above the trees with a golden arch, uh, you know exactly what you will find underneath the golden arch. Uh, food of some, uh, of some description. Or if you see a box and it has a big tick on it, 
you'll know what you'll find inside the box. A nice pair of trainers. Well, in the ancient world, uh, they didn't really have advertising or logos. They didn't have very many images. But some of the images that they did have that they were very familiar with were found on coins. And Herod Antipas, who was one of the rulers in Jesus' day, when he had coins minted, one of his favourite images was of a swaying reed, because the Sea of Galilee was surrounded by swaying reeds, and he picked it and had it stamped on his coin. So immediately Jesus says, what did you go out into the desert to see? A reed swayed by the wind. Immediately people are thinking, ah yes, we see those all around the Sea of Galilee. Ah yes, that's Herod Antipas. That reminds us of him. In other words, Jesus is saying, when you went out into the desert to find an answer to the problems of the world that you knew you were facing and that you realised you were a part of, did you expect to find the answer in a politician? Did you expect to find the answer in a ruler? Did you think that Herod Antipas was going to be able to solve your problems? And the answer is no. That's not what they went out into the desert to find. If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear expensive clothes and indulge in luxury are in palaces. In other words, when you went out into the desert to John, knowing that there were problems in your life and knowing that there were problems in the world that you wanted to be sorted out, did you think that people of wealth would be able to solve the problems that you were facing? The answer again is no. So what did you go out to see? A prophet. You went out to see John because you thought John was speaking from God. Let's just think about the context in which we are living our lives. The uncertainty of the world in which we live at the moment. COVID-19 has brought our world to its knees and everyone is looking for solutions. Well, where are we going to find the answer to the difficulties of the world in which we are placed? People 2,000 years ago knew that the world was in a mess. They knew that the world was facing difficulties and they were hoping and praying and longing for an answer. And they believed that only God could provide that answer. It has ever been so. The problems that we face in the world, do we really believe that politicians have the answers to the difficulties that we face? One of the other images of the swaying reed is that it, it, you know, it flip-flops, it sways one way to the other. So often politicians tell us what they think we want to hear because they know they need our votes to get re-elected. They're not the most stable and concrete of things on which to rest our hope. Do we think that wealth alone will solve the problems that we face in our world? Is wealth in and of itself a panacea? The answer is exactly the same as it was for the people who went out into the desert to find John, was they knew that they needed a solution that transcended anything that this world could give, any political solution, any wealth solution. They knew what they really needed was someone who could speak on behalf of God, which is what a prophet is, it's someone who speaks the words of God. And they went out to John because that was what they thought he was. In these days of uncertainty, where do we find a hope that is certain? How do we step away from the fear and the anxiety that so many people are 
living with at the moment as they look to the future and wonder about their livelihoods, wonder about their health, wonder about their family situations? Where do we find a message of certain hope in all of that? Well, for us, as for them then, it's in the words of God. The words of a God who loves us and who loves to speak into our lives. And Jesus says, you are absolutely right to go out into the desert looking for a man of God who spoke the words of God. Because that's what John was, but he was more than that. He wasn't just a prophet. He was the most important prophet. He says, verse 27, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way before you. I tell you, among those born of women, there is no one greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. John is the greatest prophet because he is the forerunner. He is the one, if you like, who who comes to open the door, to prepare the way for Jesus, the saviour of the world, the Messiah. Verse 27, Jesus quotes from the prophet Malachi. Uh, The last prophet of the Old Testament, the one who who sort of finishes God's word in the Old Testament. And then there's a 400 year wait for the Messiah. The book of Malachi uh, sort of finishes with this, uh, it's a wonderful promise. In chapter 3, God says, see, I will send my messenger who will prepare the way before me. Then suddenly the Lord you are seeking will come to his temple The messenger of the covenant whom you desire will come. It's the most wonderful promise of God that he is going to come. And the people of God have to wait 400 years until John the Baptist comes as the messenger. And it's a wonderful message. It's a wonderful message of reassurance. God says, yes, I'm going to come. But when you read the context of Malachi, you understand that actually the people of God are in real trouble. They're in deep trouble. And the reason they're in deep trouble is because they, have, um, they haven't quite rejected God, but they've become complacent. They're abusing worship. Instead of bringing their best to offer to God, they're bringing whatever will do. The sacrifices they were supposed to offer in the temple were, were supposed to be perfect, spotless, holy, because that's what a holy God deserves. And they were bringing... Um, animals for sacrifice that were blind, that were wounded, and they just thought, well, God won't mind. God won't care. But God does care. He always cares because he's loving and he's holy. And so the message that John brings, this message that, yes, God does come. He does come to meet with us. He does come to bring healing and and restoration. He does come to bring grace and mercy into our lives. It's a wonderful thing that God comes to us, but it's a challenge to us because it challenges us to to think, well, what what do do I offer to God in response? Do I offer offer my life to God as an offering of, of worship? Or do I think, well, anything will do for God? can give God what I feel like giving. Do we understand, as John did, that God is, is holy? It's a wonderful thing that God draws near to us. It's a wonderful thing that God sends John the Baptist as a messenger, opens the door to us to Jesus. But if a holy God draws near to us, 
then we must remember that uh, somehow we need to find forgiveness. Somehow we need to be made holy so that we can meet with him. That's who John the Baptist is, the messenger who prepares the way for Jesus. And Jesus says this intriguing thing. He says, among you, those born of women, uh, there's no one greater than John. And yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he is. John the Baptist is the greatest person who lived before Jesus. And yet after Jesus, anyone in the kingdom is greater than he. Why is that? Well, it's because Jesus is the turning point of history. The life of Jesus marks the turning point of history. All those who came before Jesus... Well, they had, it was possible to have a relationship with God, but it was a relationship with God at a certain distance. Because it's the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross who dies in our place, who dies on our behalf, who dies for our sins, who opens the way to the Father in a way that it had never been opened before. When Jesus died on the cross, the curtain in the temple that divided the Holy of Holies from the rest of the world is torn in two. The, gateway to God, to an intimate personal relationship with God is opened and it's the life of Jesus that marks that turning point. All who came before could have a certain relationship with God. Abraham, Isaac, Moses, King David, Solomon, they had a certain relationship with God but it was always, there was a slight distance. And John the Baptist is the last of those of that covenant, that testament, but all of us who have come after, the very least, have access to the Father, access to the throne room of God. That's why Jesus says he was the greatest of the old, but in the new, everyone is greater. It's the great privilege that we have. Verse 29, uh, uh, Luke puts in this sort of um, little codex uh, uh, in parentheses. All the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right because they had been baptised by John. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law rejected God's purpose for themselves because they had not been baptised by John. There are, there are two different, uh, sort of two different types of people, two different categories. Uh, tax collectors on the one hand and Pharisees on the other. And they symbolise two different ways of approaching God. And uh, one group, if you like, um, gain access to all the grace and mercy and forgiveness and benefits of God, and the other group don't. And uh, we can fall into the same two categories, depending on our attitude. You said the thing with the tax collectors was they went out to John the Baptist. And they went out to John the Baptist knowing that they needed this baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. Because they knew that, um, that, they, were, that they knew that they were kind of beyond the pale. They knew that they were hated by their own people. The, the tax collectors were those who were Jews who collaborated with the Romans and who were regarded by the Jewish religious system as being, as being beyond the pale. God wasn't interested in people like them because they, they broke the law. Uh, there was no way that people like them could possibly approach God because of the way their lives were, because of the way that they lived. 
And yet they recognise that this was a God of mercy. And they realise that when John called people to come out into the desert and receive a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, they knew that was what they needed. And they were prepared to come before God on their knees and receive that baptism. They knew that that was good news. But the Pharisees and the experts in the law, well, they don't think they need it. They're full of their own um, self-righteousness. They believe that the way to approach God is through obedience to the law. And they've got the law nailed down to the nth degree. And they are obeying the law. They, they're ticking their, ticking their boxes. And they know that they're better than people like the tax collectors. But because of their self-righteousness, they're unable to understand and accept God's righteousness. They are supposed to be the, if you like, the guardians to the gateway to God. And yet they've built a brick wall that prevents them or anyone else actually approaching God. And we can be like that in our own hearts. We can have a self-righteousness whereby we think, well, actually, I'm good enough for God. I know I may not be perfect, but I'm, you know, I'm, I'm good enough for God. I get most things right. Uh, I, 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 I try and live my life in a moral kind of way. The problem is when we do that, then we deny ourselves actually the need of God's grace and of God's mercy. Tax collector or Pharisee? Two different groups. Are we willing, like the tax collectors, to come before God on our knees and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner? Or do we stand before God and say, actually, God, I'm doing you a favour. Uh, I'm good enough for you. Well, what does um, Luke comment? Uh, he says, the Pharisees and the experts in the law, those who had a self-righteousness, rejected God's purpose for themselves. It's so often the ones who um, religiously are beyond the pale. Religiously the ones who are excluded, the tax collectors, the, the prostitutes, the lepers, those who are looked down on by others, who are actually first into the kingdom. Because the way into the kingdom of God is to recognise that God is a God of love and mercy and grace and forgiveness and that's what we need. Are we willing today to come before God on our knees and bow before him as the sovereign God who loves us, who cares for us? Verse 31, Jesus continues, To what then can I compare the people of this generation? What are they like? They're like children sitting in the marketplace and calling out to each other, We played the flute for you and you didn't dance. We sang a dirge and you didn't cry. John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and you say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and you say, he's a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. Uh, we are fickle. People are fickle uh, when it comes to God. Uh, we are like swaying reeds so often when it comes to God. How often, when we're in trouble, do we pray? We cry out to God to help us. And almost in the same breath, when something goes wrong, we complain to God and say, why did you let that happen? If you were real, you wouldn't have let that happen. And then something bad happens. We say, oh Lord, please help me. Uh, people have always been fickle 
when it comes to God. They were with Jesus. He, uh, he always couldn't win. Whatever he did, he was criticised. It's the same today. Almost whatever God may do, he is criticised. But Jesus says wisdom is proved right by all her children. As my, um, as my mum used to say, the proof is in the pudding. Well, for 2,000 years, uh, people have been eating the pudding of the good news of Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, people have been finding new life in Jesus Christ. For 2,000 years, people have been finding forgiveness and grace and mercy and healing in restoration in the name of Jesus. Even today, even as we've been worshipping this morning, thousands of people around the world will have been putting their trust in Jesus Christ and finding that in him is the answer to the problems that we face in our world. Wisdom is proved right by all her children. That's the invitation of God to each one of us today, is to find peace in him. Uh, to know that our world, as chaotic as it may seem, is not completely out of control because there is a sovereign God who is working out his purposes. And when we draw near to him and allow him to draw near to us, we find peace. Uh, we don't find peace in uh, a swaying reed, in a political class. We don't find peace simply in wealth and economic prosperity. We find peace in a God of love. So let's take a moment to pray. And perhaps in our hearts today, draw near to God once again. Or maybe for the first time this morning. Father, thank you that you are a God of love, a God of grace, a God who's sovereign over history. Thank you that you prepared to send your son Jesus into the world as Messiah, as Saviour. And that you've made preparations for his coming over hundreds of years. And you sent John the Baptist to be the forerunner to announce his coming and to invite us to repent, to turn our lives around and to start walking towards you instead of away from you. And thank you, Father, that in Jesus you welcome us into your kingdom. You welcome us into eternal life. You welcome us into a place of forgiveness, a place of restoration, a place of healing. By your Holy Spirit, wherever we are, wherever we may be listening to this message, would you draw near to us and minister your grace to us today. For we ask it in Jesus' name.